All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, uh, Navians? Oh, my God, this is Mark Marin. This is WTF. All right, I guess right out of the gate, I should say congratulations, President Obama, on your second term, and congratulations, America, for getting that president. Okay? All right. What else is going on? I am here on lunch. Uh, I ran over to my house from the set so I could get this done. That's where I'm at, though. It's the last week of shooting. I'm not freaking out. I'm not freaking out. I'm not anxious. Anxiety. Anxiety. That is today's topic. Well, it's today's guest's topic, that's for sure. My guest today is Daniel Smith. He wrote a book called Monkey Mind. It's a memoir about anxiety. And as you could imagine, uh, we have a lot in common. Uh, well, I, I would say the old me. I, I don't know about you, but uh, I believe that I have high levels of anxiety. I think I'm a horrendously anxious person. I don't think I, I ever properly medicated uh, that problem. Uh, I don't think I would properly medicate it. That, that's just who I am. I think I tried to medicate my anxiety throughout my life. Alcohol drugs, uh, cigarettes, coffee. Very few people realize that coffee is a an anti-anxiety medication because you go right from anxiety to like, I can't even breathe to uh, I'm exhausted. That's how coffee treats anxiety. A lot of people are like, hey, what are you, anxious? You jumpy? You sweaty? You drinking a lot of coffee? Not enough because I haven't entered that level of paralysis to where the anxiety just gets to such an amazing frequency that I, I sweat all the liquid out of my body and I have to take a nap. But I, I talked to, to Daniel a bit about this, and uh, I, I really think that my problem uh, primarily is anxiety. I was always the kid, and this was always embarrassing, and I don't know that I've admitted it here on the show before, and you know, brace yourselves, but uh, I had um, pit stains as, as a very young man. Yeah, I, I'm putting that out there. Yeah, there's a lot of shame involved with it, a lot of embarrassment. Do you know what it's like to be in seventh grade and have sweat stains in your armpits You know, when you get to school? Do you know what that feels like? I went through such a horrendous time with my perspiring uh, when I was a kid. I mean, I went to special doctors. We got special shellac-based antiperspirants. Literally, it was I was paralyzed with shame. This was a, on a list of things I was ashamed of in junior high, but sweating sweat stains it, i didn't know any other kid who had sweat stains and i used to get these massive pit stains that would dry and then you'd have the white ring of salt around the arm it was that bad starting in like junior high school how fucked up is that i i, I was a freak it was I, I paralyzed with embarrassment about that what kind of kid gets pit stains i'll tell you what kind an intense self-conscious constantly full of dread kid me pow look out i just shit my pants that's just coffee.coop for reels right in that cup you can pick some of that up at wtfpod.com but getting back to pit stains there were there i there was a series of doctors i went to with the problem i was given prescription uh antiperspirant i was it was suggested that perhaps i should have my sweat glands taken out i can't even tell you what what i went through with that, I would go out at night or I would uh, even now, like I don't have them anymore, 
But uh, if I play guitar, if I put a guitar around my neck and I'm in front of anybody within 45 seconds, I'm perspiring. But I think when I was a kid, it was all anxiety-based. I remember having a tremendous amount of anxiety, just complete panic, dread, and fear of what I assumed would happen, which was never good. And I never medicated it. I mean, I used to do a lot of blow. I think part of the reason I did cocaine was for a Ritalin effect. I think that I just get so jacked up that I would get my brain into a state of over, what, do you, what would you say, you know, just over amped and I would feel normal. I mean, everything was very clear and very intense and I had a profound understanding of all things, but I felt normal. But anxiety can be paralyzing. I mean, I've had all of it. I've had tingling sensations in my hands and feet. I'm getting them now. That's how that's how attuned I am to anxiety, that if I focus on something in my body, I, I have actually imagined things on my penis that were not there, but I imagined them into existence. Like, I think that I shouldn't have had sex with that woman because now I've got a thing. And then and there's like no thing there. So then I poke it where I thought a thing was and I keep poking. I keep thinking about it. I keep worrying about it. It, was even, it wasn't even that specific. And eventually I would have created a problem for myself. That's an embarrassing trip to the doctor. I have, uh, yeah, I have, I've had uh, complete tingling sensations in my feet, in my hands, in my head, um, dry mouth. I've gotten to the point where I've made myself sick from anxiety. Uh, and again, never medicated it. And I, and I think I say this to uh, Daniel in, in, in our talk, but I believe that I was never depressive. I was always an anxiety person because I think if you let anxiety get out of hand and you go from anxiety to panic to dread to just overwhelming darkness will come down on you and that will feel like depression, but the seed of it was panic, fear, anxiety, dread, that is what would manifest itself as depression when I've had depression. I was just overwhelmed with dread. So you're asking yourself, well, Mark, you seem so healthy now. You seem like you know everything's uh, okay with you. Like when I listen to you now, it feels like I'm not listening to the same person anymore. You, you sound calm, uh, balanced, grounded, uh, and uh, humble. Well, then you are not hearing me correctly. That was the thing with me is that the anxiety was all about what might happen or what wouldn't happen. My anxiety would manifest itself in negative ruminations that my brain thought like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm terrified. I got to do that thing tomorrow. And then my relief for that feeling was, well, it's going to suck anyways. I'm going to blow it. The worst is going to happen. Always the worst was going to happen. That was my panic and dread. But that was my also my spiritual foundation. My spiritual foundation was thinking the worst in that way. Anything that happened had to be better than that unless I was dead and then it wouldn't matter. There's some practical self-help advice for you. Don't do it. Um, to be honest with you, I think I medicate my anxiety with nicotine lozenges and coffee. And if I'm really pressed to the wall, like if I'm really in trouble, I'll just you know sit myself down and masturbate. That'll, that'll, that'll get me through. So that combination, nicotine, caffeine, masturbation for the extra, you know, taking that serotonin, dopamine, whatever the hell that thing is that happens in your brain chemicals when you have an orgasm, nothing beats that. Can I have that all the time? I don't think that would be good. I don't think that'd be a good way to go. I don't like, even if they had the technology to, that you could just plug yourself in 
to something in your pocket that looks like a phone that made you feel like you were having an orgasm all day, it would be impractical for a lot of reasons. No one would get any work done and my podcast would be something like this. Oh, oh God, oh God, oh, oh God, oh God. Hey, oh God, let's do this. No, 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 oh no, 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 oh God. Yeah, and that, I mean, you, you don't really get anywhere with that. You may feel good, but you know, you're not gonna be popular, really. You'll just be that guy. Why is that guy doing that over there? Oh, he's got one of those things, you know, the new orgasm box. Yeah, well, that's not very practical. I mean, he, does he know he's he's in a coffee shop? Like, and you can bring that mic pretty close into you. Can you hear yourself all right? Yeah, I can hear myself okay. Well, you sound pretty good. I got a I got a voice for radio. You do? Are you anxious? Uh, um, I'm less it, anxious than I thought I was going to be. Is that, do, is that a question you get a lot? Every now? time I do a radio thing, man. Every time I do anything. Or I get, you know, I hate what I get. Is uh, it an on-air question they usually ask? Is it's an, it sort of a, an icebreaker with it's you? The exact, it's the first question that they, that they ask. And this, you now I feel like a hack. I, well, <laughs> we no, can take it back, No, let me, let me do it a different way. Do you know, it's weird. Way. I would never imagine you're as fucked up as you make yourself out to be in your book. Just by looking at you and uh, seeing how you entered the house, I thought this guy's got his shit together. You know, I can hide it pretty well. I'm also not anxious <laughs> to talk to you for some reason. I figured, uh, you know, you do these th- these radio things that are like 10 minutes long. And yeah. Those, those, those scare the shit out of me. Yeah. But this is like a conversation for, for right. an hour or so. There's nothing, you know, and if I do get anxious after a little while, I'll get less anxious. But I mean, how is, um, you're, you're Jewish, right? I'm Jewish. Now, what is it? How does Daniel Smith happen as a Jew? Has it changed? Gamulski. Oh, I got to... I think we went to Ellis Island. Yeah, my great grandfather, and there were the name was Gamalski. Gamalski. Gamalski, which is from what's now Belarusia. Uh huh. And ski, the suffix ski means from the town of, so from the town of Gomol, right? Wherever the hell that is, right? And the story is that it was the Godfather story. It was like they're like, oh no, Gamalski, and they crossed it out. Too much. Gave. Too much. Smith. Smith. Huh. But then uh, someone wrote to me, because I wrote that in a New York Times piece recently. I did a piece about Jews and anxiety. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, well, that's an interesting thing to me, that, that your your book, Monkey Mind, A Memoir of Anxiety, is like, uh, like I mean, as a Jew, the anxiety thing, yeah, first of all, I, the one thing that blew my mind about your book was that uh, I don't think people really assess it as a, as a, as a, a, a deeply problematic mental disorder. Like, I don't think, I think that, like, everybody's like, yeah, I got anxiety, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, you know, and, and especially as a Jew, it's sort of like, of course you are, that's part of what we are. Yeah, but they also medicate the shit out of themselves. Right. And they, and they get diagnosed far more than, than people ever have. Yeah. So it's not, it's not like, you know, the, the 1940s or 50s where you're like, oh, he's neurotic, I'm going to get psychoanalyzed. Yeah. Now you have to, in order to get the Xanax or the Ativan, you go to a psychiatrist and they're like, you have panic disorder, you have anxiety disorder, you have this or that. Now, in your experience and in what you've been through, did you find that that was enough for you? I mean, do you find, uh, you know, I, I know that you say it in a certain way in your book, but see, like, I know I have anxiety. And after reading your book, and the reason I wanted to talk to you was that I don't, I don't think that I ever was diagnosed with it or that I realized what was going on with me because my anxiety would, uh, would amplify to a degree of paralysis that looked like depression. Like if you let anxiety play its course and you get over overwhelmed by anything, everything, you know, you're, you're, you're exhausted. Yeah. And depression and the worst kind of depression I'm told is, is an anxious depression. Like if somebody is catatonically depressed yeah. and they go through like electroshock therapy right. or they get their medication right just enough so they can feel again and they start 
getting jittery and nervous and anxious, that's when they kill themselves. Really? Like that's the most dangerous time is when they come out of the really catatonic depression. Because you're catatonically depressed, you can't really find the energy to do anything. Right. But like a lot of times I, I thought like I was maybe, uh, you know, diagnosed as dysthymic or whatever. Right. But I, I realize now that I'm, it's just panic and that the, the other side of panic is just sort of like exhaustion and dread. And it's all, yeah. And it's an all, it's all big mush of mental craziness. right? But like, did you think that was it enough for you that this anxiety idea or did, was there a time where you insisted like it's got to have some root behavioral root or or some uh there's some legacy of of bad parenting that like did you ever go the freudian way i never really went the freudian way because my mom was a therapist and she wasn't freudian yeah and i never really was very interested in knowing the the narrative behind it i just wanted to feel fucking better really yeah i didn't want to i didn't really want to know where it came from i mean i have anger at my mom yeah who who uh who's in the book yeah and um who was really anxious for years, decades, yeah. before she went back to school to become a therapist, largely because she had gone into therapy to deal with her anxiety and was like, oh, I could be good at this. And right. one of her shrinks suggested, you can be good at this. So she so, was smart and you know, one smart, step ahead of her therapist. But her thought, therapist pulled her into the profession, I mean, in, right, in a very way, which I'm not sure the ethics of that. Yeah, I don't know that. Yeah. I think the ethics become vague with therapists now that you know, aren't you know, licensed as doctors and other things yeah. anyways. But I'm, I'm only now looking at... Um, what role my mother's behavior might have played in my anxiety just now after the just book now. after you finally yeah. get your or act while together. I was while I was writing the book I should say I, is when I started to look into that before that I just figured all right I'm a Jew everyone I know in my in my life everyone I know in my family's anxious I'm yeah. going to like this is why I'm anxious yeah and also it just seems it's a religious thing it's a tradition it's a tra- it's a great tradition it's the talmudic <laughs> tradition to to question yeah, everything being uncomfortable yeah. yeah but i also didn't think that it was that it was me i thought it was just a fluke for a while i was like all right so i'm going through this period of anxiety i'm 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 feeling like shit i'm paralyzed uh, but when did you first notice it as a kid? Because like I was, I, my anxiety played itself out when I was younger as just, I, just constant dread, dread. Yeah, dread of yeah. what? Of of, of death? Of, well, of, no, of anything? Of, of anything? Just sort of like, oh, I got to do that thing. You know, am I gonna? You know, how come I don't have friends? I want to. You know, is it gonna be okay at this party? Uh, you know, am I gonna be able to? Just anything. It just any task that uh, where I was expected to perform. Right. Cause me dread, but it's not. It's not. It can't be just plain old dread. It has to be dread of something. I mean, dread has to. No, take it, that, I think it, a failure of, sure, of rejection, oh, right, right, right? Of something like yes, that. Yes, right? is there the, a the, longer chapter? Uh, there's probably a lot more <laughs> of of yeah, just of humiliation. Yes. Oh yeah, that one. Yeah, and yeah. yet you became a performer. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that part of the reason I became a performer was to uh, to to force myself into situations where I would master this thing. And also probably where you didn't feel anxiety. I'm I, in LA. I've um, I was just hanging out with a couple of friends from college. Yeah. Who um, who I used to do improv with. Yeah. And when I started doing improv, I had just I had been writing for the first time, and I was like, writing is miserable. Writing yeah. writing makes me anxious. You could always look back. You could always look forward. And someone's like, you should you should try out for this improv troupe yeah. called False Advertising. And I did it. Um, and and they let me in, and I found that before performing, I was just I was in the bathroom. I had I had terrible stomach issues, and then when diarrhea? I diarrhea, oh the worst, just yeah, just really? terrible diarrhea beforehand and afterwards when I dreaded what I might have. Well, done. Well, that was the uh, the reward diarrhea. That was the reward <laughs> diarrhea, right? Exactly. But but on stage, it was it was like it was zen, even if it was fucked up, even if it was terrible, because you're present, because you're, you're present, exactly. So. 
as a, as a kid, so we, so you come from what middle class Jews? Your mom's a therapist. You grew Long up... Island, yeah, just the standard. Oh my god, like, yeah, it's which, like the standard. Which checklist. town? Plainview. Uh huh. Exactly like it sounds. And what's your dad Plainview. do? My dad was a lawyer. My dad. Oh my died. god. Yeah. yeah, he died when? Uh, when I was in college, he died of cancer. Oh right. Okay, yeah. that's I remember you talking about that in the book. Yeah. But okay, so as a kid, when did you first start? You know, realizing that this was you know paralyzing you. When I lost my virginity. And wait, I, I mean, I know that story. I, I mean, I tell me that story because it was bizarre, and I think it would have been most other people's dream story. Well, I was I was a nervous kid before then. Like I remember being going off to sleepaway camp for the first time, and my parents dropped me off in their wood paneled station wagon. I had one of those. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have one still, do you? No, but the family had one. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. They like gave them out to Jews. Right. And yeah. And then like after the middle class Jews got done with them, the Hasidic Jews seemed to have bought them all. They got vans, man. I live they in Brooklyn, vans. right <laughs> next to them. They're, those guys are they're bad. I'm gonna get in trouble, but they're bad for the Jews. Those yeah, guys. No, I. You're preaching the, to the choir. The, it's it's crazy, and I think they're all on welfare. I've heard. Is that true? Yeah. Like because they're studying Talmud, so they don't they don't work. So they, not only they, do they not believe they're living in Israel, they don't believe they're living in Brooklyn. Right. Exactly. No, and they <laughs> wall themselves off. Yeah. And, and they're always, my, my wife said the other night, she's like, why are they always out? You go out at two in the morning. They're wandering around. Just, what is yeah. that about, though? I don't know what it's about. I don't know what they do. They make me uncomfortable. I stayed at a hotel in Brooklyn that was owned by them. And, like, I have this weird thing where, you know, if I look at them closely, you know, uh, their features and things, you, know, you take away the hat and the curls and the beard, and they don't even look Jewish to me. Like, no. they, there's some weird, I mean, I, I don't have a conspiracy behind it, but I don't know if it's from, uh, you know, intermarriages or, or what, but they, I, I don't know. And they're, they're, they're I, I, and I hate to generalize, they're rude, they, usually. Well, they are. They are. They're rude, and they, yeah, and they're, they're, they have buses what? that just spew exhaust. And did you hear about this thing about the circumcisions? No. They have a ritual where um, they, I don't know if all of them do it, but, yeah. but where when they cut the foreskin of, of a newborn, the, the moil will suck the blood out of out of the baby's that's, penis. That's bad for the Jews. Any and blood sucking or baby if you baby yeah. baby blowjobs are yeah, they, terrible yeah. for the Jews. Even if it's just partial, in, and, and it means that they're doing it to a part. And kids it's, got yeah. herpes and died. No. Yeah, some Come kids on, got her- I, some kids got herpes from these rabbis and died. And the but what city- I thought, but you're telling me that they. I thought you, you're not. You're not saying that they take the piece of the foreskin and suck it. You're saying that they put their mouth on the dick. Yeah. On and, the baby dick. And to suck the blood. And suck the blood out of the baby dick. And and some kid got herpes. And, yeah, and died. And a couple of kids have gotten they, sick, but it's not illegal. But this they, sounds like Semitic urban legend. It's No, I, there was just an article in the Times about how the, the Board of Health, I think it was, someone associated with Bloomberg administration said, all right, we're not going to take this ritual away from no them. Bo- and make no it more rabbinical baby blowjobs. No, but, but no, not that. You have to have a, a, a consent form. If you sign a consent form, you can let a rabbi suck your baby's penis. Mm. After he cuts it. After he cuts you, you should, shouldn't that be illegal just cl- across the board? Well, I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that, you know, I mean, you know, certainly circumcision should be a, a choice, but I mean, within our religion, it's a, it's a ritual. I'm not just talking about, I mean, I'm talking about the, the Dirty, sucking. You're talking about, yeah, I, I think that it's a- That yeah, should be illegal across the board. Grown-ups putting their mouths on infant penises is generally, it, it, it is illegal. Gener- yeah, yeah, I'd say. I mean, I think they thing. found a loophole here. That, yeah. Uh, but Anyway. But, 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 <laughs> but, but, but no, it, uh, explain to me why you think they're bad for the Jews. Uh, uh, exactly the reasons that you say. I mean, they they isolate themselves. They uh, they're often very rude. I'm gonna get myself in so much fuck. I'm scared. I'm scared of the Jews, man. Yeah. I already got a bad email from. I shouldn't say this. To, I already got an email from someone having when after I wrote that piece for the New York Times called "Do the Jews Own Anxiety?" When I said no, and this guy's like, "You're," you, he wrote me a "You're an anti-Semitic. You're a self-hating Jew." So what? 
I hate that criticism. I'm like, of course I am. And that's what propels me. You know, this idea that the Jewish tradition of, 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 uh, you know, uh, of competitiveness. Yeah. That the, the reason the Jews are, are, you know, uh, you know, stereotypically smart or industrious or in high positions or, or managing money or show business or whatever is because of the, uh, the, the, the importance they, they, placed on education and on the the tradition of like we were always isolated we couldn't find you know we were always moving yeah and and i think uh well that's one the other is uh we're, we're self-hating because we're never good enough for our mothers i mean there's nothing wrong with that and wait you think the self-hating is motivating absolutely yeah i could see that of course it is i, yeah. I mean the, you know self-hating comes from feeling that you're not good enough and being not good enough is part of a of a semitic expectation that that runs within that tradition it's like why didn't you get an a how come you couldn't be as good as what's his name jacob has uh, got a new job you know of course i'm being steven oh, and rachel yeah. but that, but it, but that's going away <laughs> That's going away. It's like now the Indians own that, I think, because when 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 you were growing up, when I was when I was growing up, I, we were probably moving past it. Like right. we're talking about Philip Roth's generation when they were trying to assimilate and that whole tension about do you go with the tradition of your family and with the with the old rituals and the old ways or do you go off and make yourself American and individualistic and, and ballsy and gutsy and do crazy shit? And that tension and wanting both things at the same time, that's isn't that the, the essence of, of Jewish anxiety? Of that, that generation way, of, of Jewish that, anxiety? Of Jewish anxiety as it's been represented that yeah, we but, know but it well I, in entertainment, I, like Woody but, Allen and all that. Right, but I think so. But I, I, I think that the legacy of that, uh, when it's not uh, tethered to uh, you know, trying to pass or assimilate is just uh, uh, you know you, you, is expectation is that there's still a sense of entitlement to the religion whether or not you come from our generation or not I mean oh, it's I, the chosen people well, thing. The, well but yeah. not only that but you know you're sort of insulated I mean the the the, the example of the Hasidim and whatever industriousness that they you know, are doing as a community within their community they're almost tribal in how they take care of each other right but you know with the Jews that that are of a you know one or two generations away from assimilating or moving to the suburbs there's still this sense that you know as a Jew you're supposed to achieve and also but also uh, and I'm thinking about this more and more these days that that they still want to kill us I, I think that's never that far away from it's not it really I mean I grew up on Long Island surrounded by Jews I went to yeah. fucking Brandeis University I live in Brooklyn now when I look I think I know why the Hasidim trouble me so much the Brooklyn Hasidim because I look at them and I and I feel I feel like they're lesser. I feel anti-Semitic when I look at them. That they're they're ugly and they smell and they got shit in their beards. Well, I mean, I do a, I do a bit about that. Wives. Yeah, I do a bit about that. Well, my angle is this: uh, like you know, I do have that. I don't know if it's contempt, but there's there's a, a bit of fear and certainly a lot of judgment. But maybe some of that is 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 actual jealousy that they you know, have tradition, they have ritual. Uh, they never wake up in the morning and say, "What the fuck am I going to wear today?" No, you know, I mean, there 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 is a commitment. To uh, to religion and to community that they do experience, but they've chosen to isolate themselves and pretend like it's you know mid century eighteen fifties in Poland yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But uh, but I think that the other side of that is that you know they're making Jews look bad. Yeah, I mean, they're I making think... look yeah. Because if I was an anti semite in Europe. I would I would look at them and be like they have to go. Well, well, that's exactly what they did. <laughs> right. Well, I know, and, and they were the ones to some degree, but they were also uh, the aristocratic class of Jews too. So it, right. it was an across the board thing. So you thought maybe that Hitler should have negotiated with the aristocratic Jews, and, and they what? could have agreed on getting rid of the houses because they were annoying to everybody. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to take a position on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's very diplomatic. Yeah, thank you. We're already in the soup, aren't yeah, we? Oh my God, man! This was who knew? 
No, but I, I, but, but I, but I agree with you because I, I try to assess my own connection to Judaism constantly. Uh, you know, I was bar mitzvahed. I was, you know, you know middle class American Jew, and you know, and there is that thing where you know you learn your lessons along the way. Where you know there was this idea, like when you first realized that Jews were mafiosos, or or that you know I worked at a you know where you know you, you think about you know Meyer Lansky, Longy Wilman, Bugsy Siegel. I mean that Jews were bad guys too. Yeah. And there's that whole sort of like weird like oh you know really. And then uh, and then when I worked at a deli in, in Boston, you know I worked I, I worked uh, you know it was this Jewish community, but there were these old guys, you know, that my grandfather owned a hardware store. I mean, they're, they're, you know, Jewish exceptionalism, you know, for some reason it still sticks in your head, even though, you know, I know a Jewish plumber or a Jewish cop and there were Jewish boxers in the early 1900s. I just, I don't know where that propulsion comes from. And I think that we crave it. I think we crave the, the association. I think that at some point your anxiety as a Jew must have been a badge of honor. Well, yeah, except that I, I kept, they kept pulling me back in. Speak of mafioso, like I didn't think that I wanted to hang out with more Jews, and I ended up going to Brandeis, which was exactly like staying on Long Island. I didn't want to go there. Why? I didn't want to be because I wanted. I thought that college was about expanding your horizons, meeting people who are different than you. Mm-hmm. And my mother, uh, this is when I actually when I started to think about my mother's um, influence on my anxiety. She said, "You should apply." Yeah, you should apply to Brandeis because you need another safety school. And I was like, all right, I'm out. I'll just apply to make to shut her up. And I applied, and then they they gave me a full scholarship. And I was like, all right, well, I can't the anxiety scholarship. The the anxiety, yeah, the <laughs> the the Meyer Schwartzbaum neuro, neurosis, ne- nervous, uh, uh, the nervous Jew scholarship, the nervous Jew scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I ended up we ended up going down to Georgetown University. Yeah, because I wanted to go there, and my mom looked at all you know those like the giant crosses mm-hmm. that look like they actually have actual people on them yeah and she just she's like this is and there were priests walking around she this is not gonna this is not gonna fly and they weren't gonna give me money so i just went to brandeis and was immediately miserable and felt that i had gone because i'd somehow incorporated my mother's will for me like i had no i had no instinct i had no guts i had no balls i knew what i wanted yeah but instead i i was just like all right i'm gonna lie down and let mommy tell me what to do right and uh, and that impulse has been throughout my entire life. Just let someone else make decision because I have no access. Everyone says like follow your gut. I have no access to my gut. I like if I feel a feeling in my gut about what to do, my brain immediately starts just chimes in, and I don't know what it is anymore, and questions it, and I lose all ac- access to instinct. Yeah, my my gut is. I, I've learned not to necessarily trust my gut. That that uh, there has to be some uh, negotiation between my gut and brain because you know my gut you know generally just wants to feed whatever is needed at the moment. It just wants to put your penis in holes. Yeah, that you know, yeah. On, yeah metaphorically and literally. Yeah, sure. right, yeah right. so you can't always honor that because you know we know you know immediately after that it might have been the wrong hole. But but, <laughs> but what but the but the reflective instinct. I mean, I know it sounds like a like a like an um, well, you paradox, you, you but... seem to play all the different angles, and then you start spiraling and with like you know you that's, spiral. That's yeah. my gut, but there's also this. But what if yeah. this happens? So you've got counter you you you, you counter you're counterintuitive about your gut, and then the next option that that reveals itself that's not your gut. Then you're counterintuitive about that, and then it just keeps cycling. Yeah, you just itself. start orbiting around like crazy, and you can't get out of the orbit. So let's get back to the because I, I think that w- what's interesting about what appears to me to be a boundaryless mother uh and uh which is uh, which is not unusual within uh within jews certainly yeah. but usually uh, the smothering mother or the mother with high expectations who has no boundaries then you just become kind of a uh you know an appendage of theirs 
uh, you know, an emotional appendage. Her love was very powerful. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I, yeah. you know, sometimes you know, I question you know, love versus is it love or is it some other form of anxiety? You know, I think that you know, in looking at my own childhood, I, I know my parents were concerned and they were worried. Yeah, but they were not nurturing people. Right. Well, my mother was very, very nurturing. Well, that's a, yeah, it's a different but, thing. Yeah, and I never, I never really experienced it as smothering. Although, talk giving that anecdote about college, where I, I couldn't hear my own will for my mother's. I'll give, I'll give you an example. I just was talking on the phone with my middle brother David. Yeah, who is not really is he the, the one book. I met? No, you met Scott, who says hi. By yeah, the way. okay, good. Um, uh, no, David is a middle brother. He's a, he's, he's, uh, he's a film editor. And he's experienced anxiety as well, but I didn't put him in the book because he's a lot more shy than the rest of us, a lot more reserved. Yeah. He doesn't, you know, he's not really, didn't, probably didn't want the public uh, exposure. And my mother called me and she goes, do you think that David feels bad because you didn't expose his anxiety in the book? <laughs> I was, she's like, because you left, you basically left him out by not, not talking about his own, his craziness. Yeah. I was like, mom, you've been, that's, that's nuts. Yeah. That's not an. Well, how did she feel about her your portrayal of her in the book? She was freaked out at first. Yeah. Um. And she and she read parts of it to her therapist, and her therapist said, "You come out in this book as someone who struggled, and and who's intelligent, but who worked really hard in an honorable way to try to overcome their own suffering." And I, she, I thought, I think she comes off better than me possibly in the book i think she comes off really well i hope she does well, that, what's in, what just struck me as interesting is that you know given the analysis that we just did of, of the generations of jews who you know there's the assimilation jews which you're saying is the basis of 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 the 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 anxiety mm -hmm. uh, mode but you know your mother's generation is the the analysis generation yeah so they were actually enabling a, uh, a continuance of anxiety mode, but it was no longer tethered to this need to achieve, but yet we had this residual anxiety. So then, because I find that therapists, you know, if if it's it's a racket on some level because they, they have a lot invested mm -hmm. in you needing them. Yeah. So there, there, there's very few times. I, I, I really wonder how many times a, uh, a patient of a therapist has heard, hey, I think we're done. I, I really do. Yeah. I know, yeah, it's one of those professions where if they actually achieved everything they want to achieve, they'd be they'd put themselves out of business, right? Or 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 just to say, you, you know, just uh, you know, shut up, you know? yeah, <laughs> just stop fucking whining, and he give me one hundred and fifty bucks. They they the most therapists I've gone to have not helped me because they have no plan. They've studied a lot of different shit and they have a bunch of different techniques, but generally what they're doing is sitting there and listening and not giving any direction. And a therapist that's going to help anxiety for me has to be a little bit more pragmatic, actually has to have techniques. Right. Those guys, that's not, that's not bullshit. Like the whole cognitive, cognitive, the yeah, whole no, cognitive I, stuff. I think it's the only real one. It's, it, for me, it's the only real one. I mean, I'm, I've, I've, now I'm starting to understand a little bit more about how psychoanalysis could help. But I don't want the psychodynamic because... I don't. I don't want to pin my life down to a narrative. Like yeah. I feel like if I make make a narrative for myself, then then you have locked yourself in. Like I read a writer who was talking about how she doesn't want to write any more personal autobiographical essays because you she takes her memories which are in flux and which are contingent and she locks them down into a single story and then that's all fucking locked up in her head and now from from that point forward that's how that stuff happened. The way she wrote it is how it happened. And it seems like psychodynamic that might happen. You, right, but you make but, yourself a story. I know, but but even you know memories that you keep in your head are are revisionism. Yeah, but I mean, you can keep revising them. You know, like well, right, it's right, not right, official. Yeah. They're not like you know. You didn't sit down with a therapist. You're like, my mom did this. Yeah, my yeah. dad did this. Right, and you know, I don't trust. 
I don't trust yeah. memory. Right. No, um, no, I don't either. I, mean, I wrote a memoir and, and, and you know, you can't trust everything as literal truth because it's my, it's my memory. I didn't write everything down. And also I think memory is, uh, you know, more, I, I imagine because it's part of our human brain and we, uh, we need to adapt to survive that, you know, memories, uh, you know, they, they pick and choose, you know, how oh, yeah. to best assist you in, in adapting. So your memories are, you know, it's, it's, you're either you're going to be the winner or you're going to be the loser, but what really happened very quickly fades. Yeah. And yet, and yet, I I guarantee you, if this book keeps doing well, someone will go back and fact check every little thing. But you were a fact checker. I was the worst. But wait, let's go back before yeah. we get oh, to that. Oh, should we go to the the, the, well, what, virginity? the virginity thing? Because yeah, like, yeah, that's a good story. All right, <laughs> let's do it. So I so I remember I this remember is the birth of your your awareness. My of birth, of my awareness. Like I remember going to camp when I was ten, and my parents have that was, now we're back on the wood paneled station wagon. Yeah, that's fine. We can and we can loop a... around. I I look. I remember when my first when my parents first dropped me at Alpha Camp. I cried. Did you like just I, cry or did you like... I freaked out. I got, I, uh, I got nauseous. Um, you know, I, I, I couldn't... I felt like I'd been abandoned. It was horrendous. Did you stay? I did. My parents dropped me off and, and I actually like dug my fingers into the cushions of the back. They had to use two counselors to pull me out by my ankles. And my parents were off going off to vacation. They were on their way to the airport. Of the car? Off the, they had to pull me out of the car by my ankles. And your parents just let them do that? My mom was really upset. My dad, my dad was like, we have... We have plane tickets. Yeah, and my mom said we can't do this, and and I basically, you know, I fucked up their vacation. They were it was like so you didn't stay. I stayed. I did. I mean, I fucked up their vacation because they were miserable. My mother was miserable the whole time, worrying. Yeah, worrying about me, and yeah. I stayed for two weeks, and I was I was miserable the entire time, like a sense of of dread, of doom, of I cannot handle this. This is awful. And even though I knew that that they were going to come back, I never had any fear that there was, was a I was Jewish camp. Abandoned. No, it was a four H camp. It uh-huh. was like. So you were like on Mars. It, yeah, it was on Long Island, though, man. There were tons of Jews there. It was oh, okay. filled with Jews. Uh, and, I, you know, I could I could hang with the with the goys, man. I mean, there. No, no, I know. I, 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 I mean, I grew going. up in New Mexico. Yeah, but there was, a, a, you know, I definitely went to a Jewish day camp. Oh, yeah. And then I remember my first sweepaway camp was definitely not a Jewish undertaking. It was in uh, New, northern New Mexico. They had guns. They, there was shooting. There was fishing. There was uh, horseback riding. Yeah, it was It was almost, it, it, if I framed it properly, it would be anti-Semitic. <laughs> Have you ever shot a gun? Yeah. I want to shoot a gun. My dad's got guns. He does. And, you know, I shot, he, you know, he, they were around, you know, in New Mexico, there were guns around. I feel like that would be great for me. Yeah, I, there's, you, you can do shoot, it. Just shoot, just Why shoot. Why haven't you lo- looked into that? I've looked into it, but then I, but I don't like leaving my apartment very much. Really? I mean, I, I go out, but I. Well, I don't think you should have a gun, but I think there's well, places you can safely kid. shoot a gun. Yeah, I can go and shoot a gun. And, and uh, this buddy I'm staying with in, in LA, he said he'll take me to a range and, right. and shoot. But, uh, but I feel like the power would make me maybe feel better. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's a real release, and yeah. also it gives you a sort of a there's a there's a buzz to it, but it also gives you a, a deeper yeah. understanding. It just you know how easy it might be to shoot somebody, yeah. including and you can yourself. Shoot and be like I'm shooting, I'm not, I'm a Jew, yeah, and I'm shooting. Right, you're right. It See, feels now good. you just you just scored points with uh, with uh, Zionists. There we go, man. <laughs> you're back good. in. I'm back in. <laughs> By the end of this interview, we'll see where I am. Mm. So, so, so I, you know, I had this crazy stuff with where, camp. With camp, and if if a doctor tried to give me a shot, I would hide under the table and throw, just throw shit. Out of fear of the pain. Out of fear of the pain. Yeah, I guess the pain. Even though, or out of feeling out of control, it doesn't hurt that much. To no, get a it doesn't. Shot. But it's still, but it's still a needle. And it's yeah, still a needle. Yeah. But then uh, when I was when I was 15. I started working at this independent bookstore on Long Island called Bonmark Books, mm-hmm. and it was a, it was a crazy place. It was run uh, by this old couple, 
um, and their and their and their middle aged son. It was like a reti- the, the old guy was a retired English professor. The 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 old lady looked like Ruth Gordon. Oh, from, great! Uh, from Did Howard she talk Maud. like her? She talked. She made like wines out of rose petals and played the lute. And she was she was like old bohemians. Yeah, like kind of old bohemians. Yeah. Except the old guy was he just hated everyone. Every any kids who came in, he would he would try to like push them out of the store. So I started working there, and um, about a year into working there, this 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 uh, this woman comes in, and, yeah. she's, and she gets hired. Yeah, and. Uh, it was mostly guys who worked there, sort of like geeks, comic book geeks, yeah. guys who love sci-fi. And you were comfortable at this place? I was very comfortable at this place. Yeah. I was I felt really at home there. Yeah. I mean I was I was discovering books. I was yeah. I was loving just going around the stacks. Yeah. Uh um, was used books? Mostly used books, yeah. some new. Uh and I had a really strong sexual experience there, I'm just remembering. Where I was shelving the 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 Harlequin romances. Yeah. And you know how like when you're when you're an adolescent, just the picture of something could make Yeah, gotta miss that. Go yeah, I know. Oh my god, I really do miss that. What it that. takes now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but thank God that's readily available as well. Yeah. I once uh when I was in my twenties I had a psychiatrist who was like, um, you know, you've been on this antidepressant for a while. Are you having any sexual side effects. I was like, I'm 22. Yeah. I have an erection right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> just by you mentioning Just that. by mentioning <laughs> any, <laughs> you just said the word genital. Yeah, like, yeah, and yeah. I'll just, but, uh, um, so yeah, so I'm working at this store. What was uh, the Harlequin thing? So, oh, so I'm, I'm looking at the cover of, I'm shelving the Har- Harlequins and like yeah. alphabetizing it. And it was like a bodice ripper cover with, yeah. with, uh, who was that, that male model, you know, with the, with the blonde hair. Fabio. Fabio and some really beautiful buxom woman. Yeah. And I was standing on, uh, um, like a stepladder and, and thought I was going to have an orgasm. Really? At the age of 15, just looking at the picture. Wow. It was really powerful. Now, like, now, how about, like, as a Jew and uh, speaking to another Jew, like, wh- when did you become a compulsive masturbator? As soon as I, as soon as I could. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I could. I, I mean, and, and there was that great period that people don't talk about this a lot. And I think they should. There was that great period in a boy's life where you could masturbate and, and have orgasms one after the other, but there's no ejaculation. Right. It's right. It's clean. Yeah, it's clean. And, and then there's one that, after the other. It's right. incredible. Yeah, and then there's that one day where a little bit comes out and you're like, what is this about? That's now? the worst day in a boy's life. Yeah, it's like, oh, now it's making glue. Now it's, ma- yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have to get in the shower and the shower makes it sticky, then you yeah. can't clean it up. Yeah, yeah. That's the worst. That was the worst day of my life. <laughs> it's when he started to The single, single worst day of my life is when, <laughs> is when I ejaculated yeah. for the first time. <laughs> I used to go into pools yeah. and press my groin up against the, 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 jets. the, the jets. Yeah, yeah. At camp, and I'd stay there for like forty-five minutes, pretending that like I was just hanging out. I was like, I didn't yeah. want to, like my I, was, yeah. I had a cramp. Yeah, yeah. And the counselor yeah. was like, so why aren't you? I was like, I just have a cramp. Yeah, yeah. But my eyes are rolling back in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the best, man. Yeah, water was good. Water was great. Yeah, very good. Yeah. yeah. And this is why. This is another Adulting reason. Sucks. This, yeah. <laughs> this is the again the separation of the uh, the Jew and the Gentile at camp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Jews still in the pool for a specific reason, yeah. <laughs> and the and the Gentiles off competing in yeah. in like yeah yeah, yeah like rowing. Why race? Why we got these jets. It's like, the dumbest thing to race you if can, you have the jets. You can fuck the pool, and you guys are what trying to hide <laughs> the fact that you want to fuck each other. You could fuck the pool cleanly for an hour. Yeah 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 yeah. And that's exercise. To yeah, an extent. Sure, your sure. body, your tense. I'm exhausted. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm working at this bookstore. Yeah, and uh, this is not this. Is, I'm just realizing this interview is not going to help book sales at all. Sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going walk, uh, and um, this woman comes in, 
and she I mean she seems to me really old right because I'm I'm 15 16 at this point but she's uh she must be in her 20s or early yeah. 20s and she's blonde and she's kind of overweight and she's got a kind of she's got a sexiness about her yeah I know this because my oldest brother who I take all my cues from and everything when I was that age yeah. sees her and he's like oh he's like I would fuck her yeah I was like oh then then I would too yeah yeah um but she was very strange and everyone in the store they hated her they just thought she was a mooch, which she Why'd was. Why'd they hire her? Uh, because they didn't do the hiring. The The owners did the hiring. But the owners liked her. The owners, I guess, thought that she'd be good. She was smart. Yeah. Um, she loved children's books. Yeah. She, she was really enthusiastic. Yeah. But she'd always, like, mooch off people's food, and, and, she, and she was gay. Yeah. But she was married to a man. Right. And, and this freaked out, I think, the guys in the store because she was, she was odd. She was kind of like an other. Yeah. And, uh, and I was the only one who was nice to her. Because I felt really bad for and her. And you're how old? I was 15. Yeah. And I felt really bad for her. And she was she was sweet in her way, although she made me really uncomfortable. Yeah. And and uh, I think she felt really alienated. She had just graduated from college, I think. Um, the stories she told me were that her parents were born-again Christians. They, mm -hmm. They'd kicked her out of the house. Um, you know, she, she... It's a Philip Roth story. It's like a Philip Roth story. Yeah. Except, you know, like like uh, like when she was good. You know, yeah. Because she was a, she was a goy. She yeah. was a shiksa. And um, and she loved women. She loved having sex with women. Yeah. But she was married. She married this man because she wanted, she wanted to have kids. Yeah. She always talked about having kids. Right. And so she would confide in me constantly and always say shit like, "I can't believe that you're only 15. You seem so much older than you are." Oh. Um, which was a real, it jazzed me. I mean, it was, it was right. cool. It creeped me out a little bit, but it, but it was also true. But I you was, were jerking off to her, right? I was not jerking off to her. No. no, I was not attracted to her at all. Okay. In fact, I was kind of, I was real, I was kind of repulsed by her. Right. Um, but I was kind to her. Yeah. Because I felt bad and because, and because there was, um, there was a kind of nice sparkle to being thought mature. I yeah. was like, oh yeah. Yeah. I am mature for yeah, my age. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything I thought about myself of like someone who, who had like some, some access to literature yeah. at a young age. Yeah. And always people say you have, you know, like, like you know, old Jewish ants always like he has wise eyes. Yeah, yeah. His yeah. eyes are so Old wise. soul. Yeah, you have an old soul, which yeah. is, doesn't mean anything. And it means nothing. Um, so anyway, this, this went on for a while. She, she, had, she got pregnant and like, uh, and then had this awful miscarriage where she called me to come to the emergency room to hold her hand while you're the guy I'm the guy she called I like pedaled my bicycle over there yeah and held her hand while cysts exploded in her uterus oh god and so I so I went through all this crazy shit with her and yeah. felt kind of cool about it because I was like oh, I'm I'm a grown I'm a grown up I can handle it and oh and also being an anxious person I'm I'm really good in emergencies like I love that's where you lock in you lock you're, in it's you're like free it's like, of self yeah it's like yeah. being on stage it's yeah like performing you're free of self I love it I should have been a surgeon or something yeah. like that and um. Shortly after that, after thereafter, she uh, she leaves, she quits, and she disappears. And over the next, the course of the next year, I start smoking a lot of weed. Yeah, and going to, and grow my hair long, and going to like a lot of fish concerts. Because your brother too. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of weed around. Yeah, yeah, and um, and I would smoke weed with my brother's uh, friends. Yeah, and. and uh, and um, so, oh, and so fish concerts, tons of fish concerts, yeah. man. So you miss the stuff. dead. No, no, I I went to about six or seven dead shows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I went to, and like Jerry Garcia band yeah. and all that stuff. Hippie Jew, hippie, hippie Jew, yeah, yeah. hippie Jew e eating veggie burritos in sure, parking man. lots. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, and one day, about nine months or a year after she leaves, this woman comes back into the store, and I'm still working there. Yeah, and uh, she goes, "What are you doing next weekend?" 
and uh, what are you doing in the future? I was like, well, I'm going up to to uh, upstate New York to go to this concert with yeah. my show yeah. with my buddy Justin. Yeah. She's like, oh, I'm going up there. I went to college up there. Do yeah. you do you want to uh, do you want to ride? So we're like, yeah, because we could save money and use that money to buy more weed. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of paying for Amtrak, so we we took a ride with her. And uh, we had a buddy who went to college up there, and we were going to stay with him in his dorm. And she's like, "So, what are you doing tonight?" And we're like, "Oh, you know, probably just going to get high and watch a movie." And yeah. she said, "Do you want to go? Do you want to go to a party?" Right. We're like, "All right, we'll go." We'll go Grown to a up party. party. Grown up party. Yeah. And uh, a gay men, a gay men party. Oh boy. I, I don't think I'd ever met someone who was out as a gay man at yeah. this point. I'm 16, and so me and my two friends, we go to this party. We pick up a lot of booze. Yeah. And there's a lot of weed at the party, and we just we get really high and we get really drunk. And she starts uh, seducing me. And you're surrounded by gay men mostly. Surrounded by gay men. Yeah. Which is which is wild. Yeah, when you've never been in that situation. Never been in that yeah. situation yeah. before. And yeah. you're fucked up. And I'm just totally fucked up. Oh, yeah. And uh, and we're having fun sort of, but it gets a little weird. Like she she does this belly dance for me. Yeah. Like, like with the cymbals, like clang, clang and all that shit and puts on music. And then she... I go to I just go to take a leak and I turn around and there she is in, in the bathroom with me and, and just kisses me yeah and she smells like smoke and I'm like not into it right and she's like are, were you, are you surprised I was like no no <laughs> no I'm not happy about it but I'm like and I just don't know what to do like yeah I'm also I'm a really good kid I don't like like I'm polite yeah. that's the Jewish thing also like yeah. I don't want to say no yeah of course. I feel course. bad. That's yeah. why I didn't have girlfriends in high school, really, because I, I, I don't want to hurt her with my boundaries. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which yeah. is the worst thing. So uh, later in the night, she comes up to me and she's like, I'm going out and I'm going to I'm going to go to a bar. I'm going to pick up another woman. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to bring her back. Do you want to stay? And I was like, um, all right. Yeah. Like, I didn't want to, but I felt like I, had, had, to. I had to. I had to. We had to for a lot of reasons. Well, yeah, but what fucked me up most about it is that they then left me in the apartment for I don't know how long. With a bunch of gay men. No, no, everyone left. Everyone left. It's a Where strange apartment. They went back. They're like, they weren't invited to fuck the two women. So they're no. like, they went back to the dorm. Was anybody like, this is weird? We got to split. Yeah. So they, my friend said to me, well, this is the thing that screwed me up for months afterwards. My friend said to me, you sure you want to do this? And I was like, no, but like, I think I'm contractually obligated yeah. as a human male, American male to do this. Yeah. They're like, are you sure? And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to do it. So yeah. everyone leaves, everyone leaves. And I'm, and I just stay in the apartment and like watch the Cosby show. Right. For, I have no idea how long. And, uh, and I hear, at some point I hear, uh, Dan, Dan. Yeah. And so I, I turn off the TV and I'm so fucked up. I don't know if that's what's, if I'm really hearing it. So I like open the window and I look out, I don't see anything. And I go, I turn the TV back on and I hear it again, Dan, Dan. And I go to the front door and I open it. And there's no one there. And then I don't know how much longer the, the two women come back and, and I have sex with them both. And then I go back what do you mean that you just go what they, so they how, come in there's so there's the woman who I know yeah who I'm not attracted to and then she brings back this woman who who I still fantasize about yeah and this is 18 years ago yeah she was beautiful like, yeah like like brown skin there's there's, there's like soft brown like uh, like wavy hair yeah and she takes one look at me and I'm I'm I must. I don't know how much I weigh now but at that point I weighed like 115 yeah <laughs> like I was a scrawny big nosed Jewish suburbanite yeah kid with long hair uh at this point i think with long hair yeah. still and she looks at me and the woman laughs oh boy and then they just start making out yeah and and there's and there are these bags like uh of of paraphernalia like dental dams condoms rubber gloves yeah. like latex gloves yeah. like have you 
Yeah. Who would you? Why would you need? Like, unless you have an open wound on your fingers, why would you need latex gloves yeah. to have sex? So, was there part of you that sort of like, what's going to happen? I had no idea what was going to happen. They start making out, and then I have to. I remember this. I remember that they both got naked, and I had to have sex with the one I didn't want to have sex with right. in order to get to the one I did want to have yeah. sex with. Yeah. And it was just like, and the horrifying thing about it was that I was able to do it, yeah. even though I didn't want to. Yeah. Like it was kind of like the way, the way I've thought about it is it was kind of like raping myself. Yeah. Well, you're being a little hard on yourself. I mean, you know, you were ready to go. You were, I was ready to go, but I wasn't, but I, but I had no, I was unattracted to this woman. Yeah, that happens. I know. And that, and yet you can do it. Yeah. That's crazy that you can still do it. I don't, I don't know that I could now, but you know, with some effort, you can pretty much fuck anything. I don't have to be anywhere till, uh, (laughs) let's see what we can, let's do run an experiment, a controlled experiment. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, uh, I can get I can get another book out of that man. <laughs> Doing Merritt's podcast, yeah. <laughs> your first gay experience. My first gay experience, right here live. <laughs> what the fuck, indeed? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so then I then I had sex with the other one, and uh, and, that and the was, other one was laying. There. That's the weird thing about threesomes. I've only had a couple in my life, but there's always someone just hanging out, just hanging. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. You're, you're all naked, so you're fucking the one you don't want to fuck, and the other one's sort of no what touching her. What are they gonna do? Like, they're like read a magazine? Well, they could like, be kissing them or something. But they can kissing it. Yeah, they can be kissing them. I think she was just touching herself and kind of watching. Right, and right. She was probably laughing at me because yeah. it was just. Oh, yeah, you were just struggling through it. I was just struggling through it in Your my first time. Yeah, and I was just bony and yeah, and, yeah. and, and sharp angled yeah, yeah. And, and weird. Yeah. But I'm told I did very well. Oh, that's good. And the second one screamed. That was nice. Yeah. Um, so you did. You did both of them. I did both of them, and then and nothing was inserted in you, or you didn't. Nothing. Have I, well, I don't. I don't think anything was inserted in me. Okay. Um, I did one of them from behind, and then the other one regular. Yeah. Um, missionary. Yeah. And then and then they called me a cap. Yeah. And I went back to my friend's dorm, and I scrubbed myself. With soap in, uh, like I tried to insert soap into my urethra. <laughs> because <laughs> like, this what this is post AIDS or no? This is nineteen ninety five. Right, like so, it's so you, AIDS. So hypochondria. Ninety four. Oh yeah, consumed. But, but there was tons of latex. It was it was might as well have been that. What's that scene from uh, from? Is it Naked Gun where he's just like full body condoms? Yeah, yeah. There's so much. There was so much protection yeah. that it was in, it would have been impossible for me to get AIDS. <laughs> and yet, for months thereafter, I was like, I'm I'm dying. gonna die. I'm dying. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, like therapists love, they love AIDS panic. No, AIDS panic in particular. Yeah. Because it's so easy. You just get a test. Yeah. And either you die or you, you know, go on drugs or, or you can, or the panic's gone. Right. But I was, I was convinced. And I also obsessed over those voices because I was so horrified. I wasn't horrified as much by the, by I was going to die of AIDS by, by the fact that, that I had ruined a first time. They're all ruined. I know that. But in my mind, they had this perfectionist tendency that like, there should have been... Do you remember the show Dream On? Yeah. There was a scene in Dream On that I was obsessed with after this happened where the the main character, Martin's talking about his first his first time and how nothing has matched up to that since then. And he's like, he's in some girl's basement and there's like kittens attacking his feet and she's, you know, the, he, she's 16, he's 16 and they can hear like the father's footfalls upstairs and there's like a yes poster on the wall and everything's yeah. beautiful. Right. And I was like, that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Like, cre- you create a memory. So you're beating yourself up about it. Which is horseshit, but there's a reason for this, man. Yeah. Me- no one talks about the loss of male virginity. No yeah. one talks about how, like most loss of male virginity is like, um, what's that crazy movie uh, that takes place in Texas where like they bring the retarded guy to have sex oh, with Oh, Last the, Picture Show. It's like the last, they're all, like that's how it feels internally. Yeah. It's all Last Picture Show. Like yeah. that's the mood of men losing their virginity. But no one talks about it. Or else it's the, it's a sort of like, you know, it goes better than that. It's not, you know, sort of like, 
you know, a bunch of people forcing a, a retarded kid to have sex with a fat lady in the back of the car. <laughs> right, right, but that's how it felt like to me. Right, no, but I mean, there's also the other one where it's, you know, you're a hero. I mean, that's a very dark, you know, like, yeah. my first time was incredibly traumatic because it didn't go well. Oh, just, did you, you mean you just came quickly or you couldn't? I came quickly. It took a while for me to overcome the fear of putting it in there. I mean, it was, it was like, you know, it, it plagued me. But that's what I'm saying. I, I feel like the majority of young men who lose their virginity, it goes... Even if it goes well, it goes bad psychically. Yeah. But do you ever, does anyone ever talk about well, I, I don't loss know. of male virginity? I, well, I really don't know how, I mean, is I, I don't know if it's easy to generalize. I, it, like, I think if you were to tell your story with a, with a slightly different spin, uh, people would be like, that's fucking awesome. You not only showed up for, to do it and you didn't come too quick, but you fucked two women. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, from all stories I've ever heard about a man losing his virginity, you have nothing to complain about. So, no, no. And I, and I was really happy for it once I started going to bars and telling stories to friends. Yeah. But like before that, for a couple of years, I didn't have well, sex you, with someone else until until like middle of college. Well, how hypo, what, how much of a hypochondriac were you? Because my anxiety manifested itself like that exclusively for years. It wasn't. And my, my brother, the one you met, Scott, he he has been a hypochondriac badly. Yeah. Like like in the back of ambulance and having a heart attack. Yeah, yeah. Where they think they're like you're a schmuck you're just sure. having a panic attack but no for me it was it was almost purely manifested itself in the you ruined what could what was supposed to be go a certain way and now everything else in your life is going to go badly it was that insane it was like there was a script that you okay that yeah. you fucked up yeah it's like a, it kind of feels like a like an upper middle class middle class jewish suburbanite thing like there's a plan you're supposed to do this this right, this right, and right, this right. and you fucked up this benchmark you get into a good school you yeah. have sex with one jewish girl yeah. or maybe a non jew yeah. and you, you have know. sex with rachel in her basement yeah 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 and it's lovely yeah. and and her nose pokes you in the eye yeah, and then yeah, you yeah. go off and and you still you're still friends with her you go to her wedding later yeah, on yeah but she marries a lawyer she marries a lawyer you're not married and yeah, maybe but a, there's still something there yeah but a lawyer who does good work and uh, for a while for a while right right (laughs) and then but he gets kind of fat and bald but you stay friends Mm -hmm. um didn't go that way i was obsessed that i was upset with this perfection thing that they're supposed to be for especially with first times like it's supposed to go well i don't know why i've always i'm losing that now i'm 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 more broken now so happily well no but i mean i think a lot of times you know just with age and wisdom that starts to relieve itself you would hope so you're so you're saying that that you're a you're from this event what characterized your anxiety was essentially that you know you your expectations were always dashed because they were really unmeetable that you know that yeah. you thought everything was supposed to go a certain way and and you would improvise that way you know immediately and it would never go that way there was a script life was supposed to go according to a certain plan i might not be able to articulate that plan but i knew that there was and you weren't doing it life wasn't doing it oh no i wasn't doing it exactly because i berated myself right mercilessly for that so how did this you know did you tell your mother about this and i told my mother (laughs) so the so the woman uh um drives us home at so we go to the fish show the next day right Oh, so you still t- you still take the ride home? And so the fry- well, I have to because I still yeah, want to be polite. And and your you know? skin is like you know you've taken the layer of skin off from oh, washing. Yeah, I just scrub myself a Brillo. Yeah. And th- well, the next day we go. I'm, I'm a silkwood shower. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I go. Uh, um, I go the next night to to the fish concert. Yeah. Upstate. My 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 middle brother David's there and his friends and I just brag. I'm just like, hey, you know. And I don't think at that point David had lo- I lost virginity. And he yeah. was my older brother, so he was like. He was not happy about uh, this. Oh, right, you know? right. Because think about the story. It's like mm-hmm. my little brother showing me up. Yeah. And I go to the show, and then the next day, she picks us up to take us home. And in her mind, 
we have formed the relationship because right. again, I'm not 16. I'm like 30. I'm, yeah. My soul is 30 yeah, or, sure. or 80. Yeah. And she's like, what we should do is we should get, we, we stop off at a restaurant. You're a team now. We're a team now. Yeah. We're boyfriend, girlfriend, yeah. even though she's yeah. married. And she wants to go get girls now. So you, you had you know, every guy's dream, really. Yeah. yeah. She wanted to be your partner and she would get girls and you would have threesomes for the rest of your life. Yeah. But that I, was not your plan. I get it. it was, I don't know what, <laughs> I, all I, I knew, <laughs> I know one thing she wanted, which was to send a postcard to the guys I work with who hated her yeah. saying um, that we had fucked. Yeah. And that I remember now now she's crazy person now. Yeah. And now the panic sets in. And so the whole ride home, I'm, but it's a different kind of panic. Now it's like a fatal attraction panic. Yeah. Right. Like now, like I, you know, my boundaries are so, uh, uh, fragile that now, like I'm, I'm permanently attached to a crazy person. Organs on the outside. Yeah. Yeah, It's just, yeah, she can, there can be rabbits and pots in any minute. Yeah. Um, and I, and I'm going to be exposed to someone attached to this, this crazy person. She's going to ruin your life. Everything's going to be ruined. Yeah. 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 So I'm going to have, I'm Dude. going to, yeah, we're going to be AIDS, like AIDS ravaged together in some apartment with, There's with no baby. You didn't think like maybe she's pregnant. No, I never, I never did think, oh, but okay. So before we go, I'm going to jump to a coda, which yeah. is the fucking best. I'm in college and I'm living with a bunch of guys off campus and it's the middle of the day and I'm watching TV and smoking a cigarette or something. Yeah. And you know, and I'm watching the local news, and this yeah. is up in Boston. This, this is like 200 yeah. miles away from everything. Where's it? Where was Brandeis in Waltham? Waltham, yeah, yeah, outside yeah. of outside of uh, outside of Boston, like 10 miles outside. Yeah. And I'm watching the local news, and and they start a segment about uh, women who sell their eggs for money, and they yeah. do an establishing shot of this woman pushing a kid on a swing yeah and it's the fucking girl she and she's living she's living three miles away in the town over from me it was nuts and for a second i was like holy shit she's following you. that's my kid oh no yeah. uh, for a second and then i'm like no no there was there was so much yeah there was so much latex yeah. again um yeah. so i get home and she drives me home and uh and i'm i'm just i'm i'm trying to contain my my absolute panic about and I can't, I'm not articulating anything in my head. It's just pure raw panic. You know, just a muddled mess of, of anxiety. You, you're like, you're fallen. You've, you've, you've. You, yeah, exactly. You, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's it. It's nothing more specific than, than I'm fallen and I'm ruined. Yeah. And I, I get home and she drops us, she drops me off. We live in this court in this cul-de-sac and I pick up my bag and I go inside and, and the house is really quiet. No one's there except my mom who's upstairs. She's upstairs. She's on her bed folding laundry and I walk up. And she goes, how's the weekend? And I immediately start weeping, crawl into her arms and start and tell her everything. This is 36 hours after I, I just I just got laid for the first time. I'm in my mother's arms while she's rocking me yeah. and, 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 and chanting those, that fucking bitch, uh. that fucking bitch. I knew it. You were raped. It's not your fault. You were raped, which did not. Which did help. not help. No. And then the panic just mounts. And then I go back to my room. And from that moment forward is when the anxiety became truly acute. Yeah. It was that was, you were now married to anxiety. I was now married to anxiety for the rest of my life. Oh, God. But and I had a great story to tell. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I mean there, there's definitely more. Now, your mother's like her office was where? Her office was downstairs in the so house. So it's in the house. So you, the know, house. you see people coming over all the time. Oh, yeah. Your... I used to watch them out the window. I used to listen through the grate. Oh. There was like an there was an air vent yeah. right next to my, my dad's nightstand. And I used to like hang off the bed and listen to sessions. And how you were in college when your father died? I was 19 when he was diagnosed. He had had cancer in, in, when I was in high school. He had colon cancer. And they cut out a piece of his colon 
and he went through he didn't go through at chemo actually they were like you don't need it and then and then we were in college and i was in college and i was a sophomore and i got a call from him thanksgiving and they're like the cancer's come back and it was everywhere it was like in his lungs in his heart in his brain and he and he died nine months later. And how did that? You know, what what did that do to your condition? I mean, you know, to the family dynamic. It made and also... me feel much better. Really? Oh, I loved. I, I I mean, I felt guilty about it, but I was happy to have this thing that he had cancer. Yeah, I mean, it sounds awful. Right. I mean, I was sad, but but it was um, it was a real thing. Right. To be upset about it wasn't just like. Isn't that that is a weird thing about because you it's know crazy? Well, it's crazy, but it's like you know when you as somebody who is accused of being a heady person or being in your head too mm-hmm. much, I don't know that people really understand what that's like to be crippled by an inability to be empathetic appropriately. Yeah, and you can't. Yeah, it's yeah. just because you know there's just too much panic going on, and 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 when something you know happens that you're forced to get out of yourself, you know, not out of selflessness or out of out of just g- genuine human decency. But just out of crisis, it's the best. You're relieved. It's the best. When my I used to go visit my father in the hospital, and I loved it because I would just, I would do whatever was needed. I would, if he needed a pillow, I would fucking go to every floor to get pillows. I would come back with like ten pillows. If he needed the nurse to do something, I just, I loved having a mission. I loved having something dramatic. I remember in high school, a friend's father uh, was diagnosed with lung cancer and died, and I felt, I felt jealous. Really? Of the, of the kid. I was like, I wish someone in my family would get sick because I, I didn't, there was no reality to death. I didn't know what that meant. Right. I didn't know what it meant until I was, I was touching my father on his deathbed and, and saw him take his last breath. That's when I was did, like, did, oh, wow, shit, this, shit's fuck, this fucking shit's real. Did grief engage? I don't know if I grieved until later. I think the grief was... Um, there's this David Foster Wallace story yeah. uh, about um, this guy writing from after he's killed himself, like from the after, from the from the afterlife, about the horror of living, being unable to live authentically, and that's what it felt like. It was like I couldn't grieve without watching myself grieve, and and knowing that at the age of twenty, the grieving was going to make me look a certain way to people, maybe more attractive to girls. It would give me the ability to isolate myself and go to the library and read without people thinking that I was being a dick. I I, I had trouble actually experiencing what felt to me like authentic grief. Now, was there ever a point during this that, you know, as an intelligent person where you were, you know, concerned uh, about, you know, being uh, for yourself, not to others, but to be that aware of of how this would play out and how you looked, were you was there ever a point where you're like, I'm a fucking sociopath? No. Like yeah, like this is a problem. Why don't I have emotional an emotional range that would enable me to uh to function like a, a person who cares about things other than myself? I don't I it, I wish it had been that intelligent of an inc- of a self inquiry. It was mostly um social anxiety and dread and anger. Like a lot of anger. At what? At um at the world for not recognizing me, for not not for, as wi- what? for women not loving me, for, as being awesome, as awesome as my mommy said I was. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't really know. Does a, does an adolescent, a teenager, know why they're angry? Well, I I, I don't think I did. I, I maybe I wasn't nearly self reflective enough at that age. I just felt locked into my own head. Well, I from my own experience that you know, if I really track my anger, it was really because you know because of my parents' fear. Uh, you know, which was not necessarily love, you know, I was denied a certain ability to develop an authentic sense of self. 
So like, you know, in, in the sense that, you know, the boundaries were so blurred and there was not a lot of discipline or guidance. So, you know, what I was angry about is what you're talking about. It's, it's sort of like if, if your parents or your mother, you know, doesn't, you know, actively say you're your own guy now, either emotionally or, or, yeah. or literally that, you know, you sort of incomplete, you know, you, you don't, you know, there's no, there's no separation. And, and, and if your mother's a nut job or selfish or whatever, you know, just that fucking anger of these needs not being met anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you, you don't even know how to identify that. But you didn't, I doubt you articulated all that to yourself as, as, as cogently as you did right now. You probably were just pissed and acted out. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, I was angry at them because, you know, I needed to, you know, I, I wanted different parents. Right. And I was <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> And I was angry at my mother, but I never really blamed her. Like, I, uh, if there was going to be someone at fault, it was going to be me. Because I saw that my mother actually did try to get me to separate, like do things to separate. And that my inability to feel separate was was because of me, was temperamental. Well, let's, let's get to where, you know, like, I mean, where did the shit hit the fan? I mean, so, you, you know, you, be, you become, you know, you go to college and I assume that was, you know, a chore. That was, well, that was the second sort of grand flourishing of my panic was when i went to college well but anybody has that right i don't think to the extent that i did i think a lot of the the thing about about that is that i think a lot of kids who go to college experience freedom a rush of anxiety right well freedom but also you have to shit next to people yeah and like freedom is terrifying yeah freedom is anxiety as a lot of people have said yeah and so a lot of people go to college for the first time they they might not act it but 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 they're terrified. Yeah, I, I yeah I was yeah. I was terrified yeah. because then all of a sudden you have to construct a self that mm-hmm. functions in that uh, paradigm. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's awful. Yeah, it's awful, and and I and I and I think it's an epidemic. And, and you, there's epidemic and, portions, but, portions. Well, yeah, you but you know, but I think that's also you know I'd like to think that too. But I think that certain people who are going to be listening us talking about this stuff, it's like Jesus Christ, these guys are overthinking everything. Well, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> that's you know that's 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 who well, I am. Well, that how long did it take you to get there? I mean, you know, I'm in the same place. I'm like, look, this is it, man. I mean, this is who I am, and I, you know, I, yeah. I do the best I can with what I got. But I mean, you know, just because you guys aren't fully aware of everything that's going on inside of you at every moment, and, I just and, the past six months is when I, you know, is is when I started. My wife, my wife has trouble with my anxiety. Jew, understand it, Jew. Oh, how'd you like that? How uh, you look that? Look at that. It all ended up on top for you. But she looks like a shit son. Uh huh. Right. Well, yeah. So I, I got the best. Okay. Yeah. But she has trouble with my anxiety, and and I get def- I get like prote- self protective about. it. I get defensive. Like, no, this is if you dislike my anxiety, you dislike me, because right. this is part of who I am. This is part of the identity. But it's only been in the last six months that that I could say, you know, fuck you. This is yeah, I overthink things, and this is this is what it is. Yeah, but but then but but see, like as a person who was who was recovering from this illness, which is this is anxiety. This paralyzing anxiety yeah. has not only defined who you are, you know, as 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 an intellectual and driven you. Sure. That you know, at some point you have to realize, like, this has a negative effect on other people who I love. Well, yeah, you can't love when you're really anxious. So that, in and of itself, I mean that that becomes sort of like I need to get there. Yeah. Well, I did. I mean, the woman I'm married to, I had been with her when I was in my early 20s when I graduated from college. She was living in New York and she was friends with with uh, with my brother's wife. They worked together 
And I was, I just started working for the Atlantic monthly magazine when they were in Boston and I came down for a party and that was like the third part of anxiety when I was right after college, I was a mess again. Cause again, transition, we can go back to college before we get to the, oh, okay. the, the you woman. Want to, I was talking yeah. about love. I thought, no, yeah, yeah, but I mean, but let's, you know, let's, let's break it. Cause I'd like sure. to, I'd like to get an arc into, uh, <laughs> into how, you know, we're both not fucking contemptible, you know, self-involved yeah, Jews. Yeah. yeah. I told you I didn't like, want to pin my life down to a narrative. No, you know? I know, but we, we would like transcendence for okay. the sense of, you know, for, yeah. for the people that, you know, who might be interested and relate to what you're saying. All right, I'd all like right. to offer some hope uh, at the end of this thing. I'd be nice for them. Yeah. Is there hope? Well, yeah, there is. Like, I don't, I mean, you say that anxiety is good for, like, for motivating someone as an intellectual or as a writer, or as an artist. If it doesn't cripple you. If it doesn't cripple you. It's a, it's a fine line. But I do better writing when I'm not anxious. Yeah. I mean, I've learned to work through the anxiety because you, you can't not. Otherwise, you're just going to not get, you're not going to make money and pay your rent. And so then, what happens at college? In college, um, I get to college and I'm and I'm absolutely paralyzed again. And I start grabbing doing... the chair again, grabbing the seat of the station wagon. You can't. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Except this point, at this point, I know I can't. Yeah, I know I can go home. My mother says I can come home if I want to, but I know at home I'll be miserable. In addition to humiliated. Yeah. So it would be a worse deal. But I, but again, I call my mother from the payphone outside the student center every day, crying. Ugh. I'm trying to hide the tears. I'm trying to hide my 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 popping Xanax from my from my roommates. Yeah, um, I get really hostile toward people. Like yeah. if they if if I come across someone there and they're like, um, "How you doing?" I don't know how you doing. Yeah, the fuck? Why why are you fucking asking me that? Yeah, I know that one. Yeah, you know, I know you do. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um, what does that mean? Why? Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. What do you what do you mean by that? Yeah, um, I remember someone said later on when I when I joined the improv troupe, a guy in the troupe said to me, uh, "So are you?" intimidated i go not by you yeah. <laughs> and they were like whoa the guy's so angry i'm a mess i'm calling home every day and yeah. i'm making my mother miserable yeah because she's in a bad spot you know yeah. she's my mom but she's also a therapist but she can't she can't be my therapist yeah right I right mean, it's unethical right but being my mom is not using the skills that she that she has so then um then i apply to start writing a column for the college newspaper and i get it like a humor column yeah and immediately, immediately my anxiety goes away. Like I feel confident, I feel good, I feel wonderful. Um, and that was it. It was like it was like a switch. Yeah. I had done nothing except found some some channel. Something you like doing. Well, I hated doing it. <laughs> I still disliked it, but it was still something, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's something that I valued, but yeah. I didn't like doing it. I mean I liked coming up with jokes. But everyone else would dash off their column. It was a yeah. fucking. It was Brandeis University College newspaper. Yeah. I would twelve people read it. Yeah. I would spend a full like ten days conceiving of, writing, revising ten times. Yeah. Neglecting my work in classes, doing this thing, and it made me miserable. Have, got, you, have got, you looked at those columns lately? Yeah, they're not bad. Yeah. <laughs> they're not bad. I mean, they're juvenile. You know, it's juvenilia, but but there's some good jokes. I did one about about uh, about people throwing up in the dorms. Yeah. I did. Uh, I did one against fraternities, you know, like the standard sure. shit. Yeah. Uh, but then I, then I, so there was like a, pa- a pattern developed to the anxiety. Yeah. So that after that, I was okay. Um, I felt better. I still was angry at people would still yell at them if they talked to me. Um, but then I went home over the summer and I, w- and I had nothing to direct my energy into. And I was again, miserable and anxious. And then I'd go back to school and for a time I'd be miserable and anxious and then I would feel, and then instantly I would feel better. So this sort of seasonal thing took over. And then, uh, and then I stopped writing and joined this, this troupe. 
The improv troupe. The improv troupe. And they were, um, you know, it's not, when you say I was in an improv troupe in college, it sounds like I was in an acapella group. It was like a lot of people no, do it. No, I know but it, was, it is. Yeah, no, but it was, I, but it was, um, but there were serious performers in there. Yeah. Like Brandeis actually has a good theater program. Yeah. And there were half of them were, were improv guys who hated theater. Right. Um, who just liked being funny. Yeah. And half of them were theater people. They didn't even go on to being funny people professionally? Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine, Benari Paulton, who, yeah. who's uh, here in L.A., um, is a really great comic. And, uh, and another friend of mine, Mary Faber, who was on Broadway and is now, um, now out here auditioning for pilots uh-huh. and stuff. Um, yeah, a few of them went on. And, and that was great for the anxiety. Yeah, right. It was, yeah. It was an incredible... I mean, it was terrible for the diarrhea. Right. Um, but, That's but, not unusual, though, necessarily. No, for a performer. Performer's diarrhea? Yeah, sure. But I, I, I don't get it. I, I, I never got that. Really? No. I never, I never had uh, physical manifestations of, of uh, like, uh, you know, stage fright or anything else. Do you still get anxious before you get on stage? I don't really. You know, it depends how prepared I am or what I want to do out there. You know, you know what I mean? Like, if I know what I got to do, then, I, you know, I don't get that anxious. You know, if I'm, like, at any given point in time, I'm working for, from, uh, you know, an hour or so of stuff that I like doing. But like like tomorrow night, I got to go on, and I'm you know I want to do new stuff and explore some things. So I'm, yeah, I'm anxious. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like if you de- if you're developing new material, because I'm thinking about turning the the book into a into a stage show because I miss I miss being up there, and the idea of going up with material that I don't have locked in now, having written for ten twelve years, yeah. scares the shit out of me. I don't know how to do it anymore. Yeah, I mean I'm sure I do to some extent, but I I don't want to. We well, just make an outline of the stories. I know, but I get I get I get an image of the of the men's room in the theater yeah. and how much time I'm going to spend in there before it. And I was like, what's what's the point? As a writer, I can just if I have diarrhea, I can just go down the hall yeah, and I have yeah. my own stuff. Yeah, I don't have to be in there, and it's sort of like showtime. Yeah, yeah, Smith, yeah. Man. Like why why yeah. why do that? Because you love it. Yeah. <laughs> but no, but so being up there, the being up there, you're right. It it, it shuts off the past and it shuts up the future. Shuts off the future. They say that anxiety is future oriented and that depression is past oriented. Mm-hmm. But my anxiety has always been tied to regret. I shouldn't have done that. If I hadn't have done that, yeah, you like to beat things, the shit out of yourself. I like to. I'm so good at being the shit out of myself. Yeah, it's bad. so good at it. And and the zen, the zen of being in the moment, like anything that allows you to do that, yeah. is fabulous. So I meditate now as much as i as much as i can but i don't do that either as much as i should even though i help i know it helps yeah i do i used to do a bit about that about how you know self-aware meditation where someone tells you, you got to breathe from your stomach and the first time i meditated i'm like you know it was like i sit down it's quiet and i just started to breathe and then i started to say how the fuck do you breathe from your stomach yeah <laughs> am, yeah am constantly I doing it i don't think i'm doing it it's but zen monks do that man like they like check their postures all the time and worry about their posture and do yeah. it do you okay. stop have you stopped doing it yeah, I don't. I don't do anything. Yeah, so so in college, once I started, I don't do. You don't do anything. No, I, I try to run and you know exercise. Yeah. and you know, I eat a lot of nicotine and drink a lot of coffee. And, you know. Coffee is bad, but I do it too. But performing, performing saved you. Helped me. Yeah, yeah, it really helped me. And then, uh, and then I left college, and life took over, and 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 I descended into anxiety again because I didn't. And college is easy, man. You write fucking papers. Yeah, it was not easy for me. Well, I mean, College was horrendous. It was horrendous, even though you know you know what you have to do. I, I still don't think I could write a paper. 
really. Yeah, I was very good at writing, you know, 10 pages of opening paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> the opening things are great. It's so much fun writing beginnings. Yeah, yeah, that's why I just kept writing them. Yeah, yeah. I never could yeah. get to a point or You should, you should out, be an right? aphorist. Yeah, I should be. You're absolutely right. I've got journals and journals of yeah. aphorisms. Do it, man. Yeah, is there a market for that? For it's, not much, it's not big money in aphorisms. Yeah, yeah. All right, so, so let's get to, like, in, you know, where the turn of the screw was that, you know, made you, uh, you know, you know, change. I had, uh, I started working at the Atlantic and I really wanted to write. I'd never, I hadn't written since that column in college. Yeah. And I had read an article about electroconvulsive therapy, about electroshock. And I, at 21, I had no idea that they were still doing, they were still doing it. Not only that they were still doing it, but that a, they were doing it a lot. B, that it was considered to be a really useful form of, of, of therapeutics. Yeah. And see, excuse me, that that people there were people who really hated it and yeah. thought it was awful and evil. Um, so I started looking into it just on my own, and and again, like found something to channel my anxiety into, and felt not anxious. At this point, I wasn't doing anything for my anxiety. I was just sort of hopping around from thing to do to thing to do, and periodically feeling miserable. And um, so I just worked on this, and I I came to the managing editor, um, a really brilliant editor and writer named Colin Murphy and I said uh, who I was intimidated by and I was like I have this idea and um, he's like that's actually like surprise he was like that's actually a really good idea go write a proposal so I went off and I interviewed all these people and I felt like a real journalist like you know a guy with a hat on and the historical arc of electroconvulsive therapy and why the historical arc what the why people still protest against it which types of people protest against it what is the science of it what why is it that um, that electroconvulsive therapy is still so controversial, even though the psychiatric establishment basically thinks of it as this this lifesaver. And so I wrote this proposal and learned how to write through the process. And then they agreed to let me do it, right? So the Atlantic Monthly was letting this 21-year-old write a feature article. And I went off and I spent all my nights, all my days, do, all my nights and rather all my weekends because I was still working full-time doing this, um, at the same time, I'm falling in love with the woman who's now my wife. She moves up to live with me in Boston. I publish the article when I'm, I'm 23, I think. And uh, it's like 9,000 words, huge thing. And there's a huge furor. It was like the beginning of internet commentary. Yeah. So people start going online saying, Daniel Smith's article is going to ruin the lives of people by telling them that electroshock is good, whereas really electroshock destroys people's memories, leads to suicide. Daniel Smith is evil. He's an idiot. Here are all the things he got wrong. He should go back to school. And I descended, and and people were calling. People were were protesting Uh online and and in letters. And I just descended into horror because all i wanted was was a fucking clip you're you're pariah (laughs) i was a pariah an international pariah Yeah, it was like writing about abortion i mean i had no idea that i knew but i didn't really i wasn't prepared yeah and the guy who was running the magazine was a guy named mike kelly who was the first journalist to die in iraq yeah he used to write for the new yorker and he's like ah he's like this this great like uh this this kind of bruiser of of an irish guy really cool guy and he's like don't don't worry about it man he's like he goes i wrote this piece in the new yorker and everyone thought i was a i was a racist asshole and i know i'm not and uh, and so don't worry about it. That didn't help yeah. at all. So um, I was just I was a wreck, and the anxiety so consumed me that I couldn't be like a good boyfriend. My 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 girlfriend had moved in with me, and and having my anxiety visible to her was horrifying. 
I felt um, like what symptoms exactly? Just being par- paralyzed, like being being weak in front of her, being afraid to actually confront all this, coming home, being distracted. It, you know that glassy look in you get your eyes where you're sure. sort of like you're locked in. Yeah. And, and also, she tried to help you, and you said, you can't help me. You are, Yeah, but, I, but and then I would get angry at her for not sure, being able to right. help me. We'd yeah. go to a movie, and I'd have to leave because I, I had a panic attack, right? Yeah. So I felt like a, I felt like a pussy. Yeah. Um, and she wanted to help me, and she wanted to love me, and and she couldn't. And so I hated for her for that, and I hated her for seeing me like that. And um, no and winning in those situations. There's no winning, and the battle is all within you. So it's just you just you push people to the sidelines of watching you destroy yourself. It has nothing to do with her. Yeah, and it, it really is. It makes it absolutely impossible to be empathic or to love anyone when right. you're that anxious. It's like it's like I keep thinking it's like that guy in in the diving bell and the butterfly. Like it's just that syndrome of being locked into your own head. Yeah, I know it. Yeah, I know the yeah because in the heart, that's the horrible thing about that's it is the like worst because pe- people are going to take the hit for you. Yeah, that you know it's like you know fuck you help me and then they try to help you. It's like that didn't fucking help. Yeah, you you're no you don't know how to help yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah, I love you. I love you. Help me. Help me. Get out of my face. Yeah. You're not helping. I'm yeah. humiliated. Yeah. I don't want you. Yeah. And so I kept doing that. I'd be like, I really, I love you so much. I just want to be with you. And then the next week or the next day, I'd be like, I, I'm not sure I want to be in this relationship. Yeah, because you don't like, you yeah. know, like even if you want that to be a reality, yeah. your brain will not enable it. Yeah. And I was too big of a pussy to to, to, to let her go. And right. to do, that's the right thing so to you do. Just, you just melted it down. I just waited. Yeah. I waited until she dumped me. And then you went, see, I knew it. Yeah. I'm alone. Oh, yeah. And she dumped me. And then, and then the worst part is then you've probably had this experience. Then you're miserable. And they're like so relieved and happy, and they're off like oh yeah, they fly yeah, to Europe yeah, and yeah. do cra- best <laughs> like, time of their life, best time of their lives. And you yeah, call yeah. them crying, and they're just like, I, I miss you. Yeah. And they're like, I'm sorry, I can't hear him at a party. Yeah, yeah, <sighs> yeah. Or a guy answers the phone. You're the guy answer the phones. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's the and it was the worst. But you're but you're also talking about like paralyzing self involvement. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, to just characterize this as anxiety is not the full picture. I mean, you know, I, I know that, you know, that has a lot to do with it, but, but selfishness is selfishness. Well, no, but I think the selfishness and the self, the paralyzing self-involvement is a consequence of the anxiety. I would call the anxiety, the experience, the feeling, and the self-involvement is the kind of the outgrowth, the symptom of all that. But, but, you know, you live a life where you constantly need relief from yourself. So everything around you, whether it's a, whether it's a, a writing or a person or a meal needs to give you relief. And that's really the only way you could see it when you're in that place yeah but i'm trying not to right i mean you know i mean i'm trying to see that living enough fears where you have to I'm, do I'm, shit I'm, I'm just saying that like you know that that it, it, it i would hope that you would read this book and that like i read it and that you can see that you know anxiety is this paralyzing mindset uh or or mental illness that you know, you, it would be easy to rationalize it you, you, and not get help for it but i think it's important to acknowledge that it is a bit of a gray area that the the yes. idea that you know why well, I have anxiety that's why I'm an asshole or that's yeah. why and 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 the other side of it is like because you're sitting here telling me in retrospect that I was a pussy so there would be you know a cognitive approach to that which would be you know shut the fuck up you know be you know be you know act like even if you don't feel it act like a goddamn man yeah and fucking treat your fucking yeah. your girlfriend better and and shut and quit. Uh, whining well that's why i don't really even use the word disorder in the book and i try not to use it because it's it absolves you of actually acting yeah like yes it, it is an illness and is a disorder but when you say it like when when you use those words exclusively 
you you're almost giving yourself license to be a prick and to be selfish and self-involved anxiety is a real thing but but it is a gray area it's a gray area with how you live your life it's a gray area with depression it's a gray area with self-involvement it's a gray area with confidence it's all wrapped up it's just life man and 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 your duty is to still be good to people and nice to people and still behave well despite this shit. And also that's tr- the job. And also try to experience some genuine empathy yes. and 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 selflessness. Yes. Uh, and and that's but that's the lifelong job. So that's the wall you hit. This woman leaves and that and the and the and the the, the electroshock therapy article uh, you know, you're a pariah in your mind yeah. and you're just falling and then she leaves you and, and where the fuck were you then? That must have been the end of it. I was right? on the bed in my apartment watching Pearl Harbor over and over again. That was a shitty movie. And just <laughs> weeping. That movie did not fucking help. It was so bad. And just, just weeping and masturbating and staring at the wall. And, and then I quit The Atlantic. And everyone's like, why are you quitting The Atlantic? I was like, oh, so I want to be a writer. They're like, that is so brave. But I quit because I couldn't fucking be around people anymore. I couldn't be paralyzed in front of people anymore. I was sweating. I had a really terrible sweating problem. I was a mess and I'd, I'd show up at my, my girlfriend's apartment crying and she'd be like, you, I, this is not, this is, I can't help you. Yeah. I loved you, but yeah. you fuck things up. Yeah. You drained me. You drained I'm, me. I'm, I'm a husk of a person. And now I don't have a job. Yeah. And I'm living alone in Boston, which yeah. is... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, I didn't want to be there. And, um, it's, and a, it's a pretty city, but it's not, you know, it's very segregated and weird. It really and, is. And it's a very weird conservative city. In, yeah. in, in its own way. Not, not in like a red state way, but in sort of a Boston way. In, in, a, in a set in its old fucked up ways. Yankee kind of way. wasp. Yeah. yeah. So I started going to this therapist and he had been trying for months now since the shock therapy came out to get me to, to question my thoughts to be mindful of what's going through my head when I'm being anxious and to apply logic to it, sort of run the reality tests on these things, cognitive yeah. therapy. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. But what about my mom? What about my dad? You know, what about my upbringing? What about the narrative and all that? And he's like, we can do that if you want, man. But like the house is on fire, right? It feels like the house is on fire. I was like, yeah. He's like, so why, why bring in the fire marshal to find out what, what started the fire? Don't you want to put the fucker out first? <laughs> And I was like, that's really <laughs> smart. And so I, I got I love to... that. There's one kernel of him like, well, oh, yeah. Okay. yeah, you know what I mean? It's a good it a metaphor. Brilliant, yeah, it was a great metaphor. Uh-huh. And I, um, I, I remember hitting bottom. Yeah. I remember being... This was the third really paralyzing episode of anxiety in my life. The first being after losing my virginity. The second being going to college. Yeah. And the third extended one being after the article came out. Yeah. And I remember getting to a point where I was like, this is, if this is it, then, I mean, I wasn't really suicidal, but I remember thinking, this is, I can't do this for another 60 years, let alone another six months. Exhausting. I'm so tired. And you, I would wake up paralyzed in anxiety. Oh, yeah, and you're like, yeah. oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. And you muddle through the day, and by the end of the day, and writing too, which I didn't know how to do yet, and the end of the day, you just collapse in exhaustion, you wake up anxious again. So I just gave in. I was like, just, I, I went in there. I was like, all right, I'm ready. Just tell me what to do. And this guy was, he was like Robin Williams in Good Will Hunting. Yeah. He like worked in this MGH clinic. Yeah. This Mass General Clinic off in Charlestown. Yeah. I used to walk over there and uh, this really humble guy, family guy with a red beard. And he starts, um, he just tells me things to do. If you're anxious, you're thinking something in your head. 
you might not know it, but some thoughts going through your head. So if you ex- you wake up anxious, you're thinking, my life is ruined. I've I've ruined this these subjects of these articles. I've ruined their lives. I'm a bad person. Your job is to identify that thought and and run it through the reality mill. And he was great about it. I'd be like, he'd be like, all right, so let's do it, right? Yeah. So I'll be like, all right, so I'm anxious. I'm not going to be able to fulfill this assignment. Um, I will therefore not be able to pay my rent. And it would end with me uh, uh, usually sucking dicks behind Fenway Park and then dying homeless and, and again of AIDS. <laughs> um, the AIDS came back. And I'd be like, and Brian would be great. He, was, he would be like, all right. He's like, so how many Long Island Jews do you know who end up uh, sucking dicks behind Fenway Park? I was like, all right, not many. He's like, okay, it's possible. There might be, there might have been one Henry. He had other problems. Henry Schwartz, he had other problems. He's like, now, if you you stop working because of your anxiety and stop paying rent, what do you think would happen? He's like, do you think there are people who would support you? Like, could you move back in? He's like, yeah. He's like, do you have your, like your brothers have some money? He's like, yeah, they'd probably give me some money. So do you think you'd you'd have to suck dicks? No, I guess not. I was like, but he's like, so, but, but there's a possibility that you'd have to suck dicks, and uh, and that you you'd die of something. Uh, so let's say let's say let's say that happens. Like, what what are the odds of that? I was like, well, one in a million. And he'd be like, well, as I and then I die. It's like, well, then you wouldn't you wouldn't be anxious anymore. No more pain. Yeah. And then we'd laugh. Yeah. And it was great. It was like it was like putting percentages on shit yeah. and 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 using humor. Yeah. Using humor because anxiety is anxiety is the only. It's the only funny mental disorder. Like, you can't laugh at catatonic depression. You can't laugh at schizophrenia. I mean, you can, but you have yeah. to be really good. Yeah. But anxiety is absurd, man. It's nuts. Because yeah. it's, just, it's just absurd, crazy, uh, you know, the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain shit. And if you just learn to pull back the curtain and see the smoke and mirrors, you can practice that. And that made me feel better. I moved to New York. I got a contract for my first book, which was about hearing voices. I started working on that. I started dating. Um, I started enjoying myself and I, for, and I wasn't anxious. I remember the moment when I realized that I was okay. I was, I was about to go out and meet a friend and I was cutting an English muffin and an Eng- sli- a sliced English muffin and I, and I slipped off and I sliced my thumb down to the bone. And I looked at that and I was like, all right, that happened. That's how it was. I was like, holy shit. Like, I'm not, I know I'm not going to die. My job now is to go to get stitches wow, it's really just all about perspective, isn't it? Like what perspective you put on the facts that are around you. But that's it. But why is that so hard to remember? Why is that every day so hard to remember? Because your brain is wired a certain way. You Mine know, or everybody's? Yours. Oh. I'm sorry. It's just like, you know, I'd like to believe that, you know, everybody is as miserable as I am or that if they just dug a little deeper, they'd be as cynical or as bitter as me. But the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, some people had, you know, relatively supportive parents and they're not wired the same way. Yeah, but I think I think way more people are like you than you think. I well, no, way, I know that yeah. because I, I can see how many people listen to the podcast. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, but I'm saying that it's it's. I don't know if it's a majority, and I do think a lot of people suffer this way. And and one of the primary reasons that they suffer this way is that they are afraid to talk to people about it, and they are afraid to uh, you know to, to to experience fear in front of somebody else, or or have that you know that that moment where they feel connected. I think one of the biggest uh, horrors of this illness that you're talking about are these symptoms, is that we're ashamed of them. Yeah, and and we know that they can be destructive and a lot of times it, it forces people into isolation either among people or, or literally isolated we're like you know nobody understands you know what I'm going through and I can't function the, my, my brother David the one I said I was talking to when I was on my way here yeah and the one who's who kind of is more reserved 
he was saying that I, I had the book launch the other day in Brooklyn and he said that afterwards he was talking to some people about anxiety and everyone, everyone there, like all these friends who don't, who haven't previously spoken about their anxiety were telling the stories of what medications they've been on, their therapists. Right, you, you got to open that And he door. said, he's like, for the first time in my life, he's like, I'm, he's like, because of your book, like I'm, I'm actually telling people about this stuff. So let's talk about getting the girl. Now getting the, the girl. Well, well you the, got the girl. I got the girl. The one that you were in love with who left you. Yeah. That's for, a rare thing. For now. Right. Well, you, <laughs> could, you could always ruin that. Yeah, we could always ruin that. The stakes are a little higher. We've now. got a kid, so she's, she's, she's connect, even if she leaves, she's what connected forever. What made you forever. believe, what made her believe you that you were better? Uh, I'm very articulate. <laughs> charming. I'm very, char- I'm very charming. <laughs> uh, I have, I have, uh, I have a giant penis. Uh-huh. Okay. I, uh, I, we had been in, we had been a, um, apart for a few years, yeah. and I, I I learned something about anxiety and love in that time. Exactly what we're talking about: that you can't love someone if you're paralyzed with anxiety. That you're locked into your own head. It obviates empathy, and therefore it obviates love. Mm-hmm. It obviates real connection. Yeah. So um, I knew that I would have to do something about that, and she she moved back to New York. After I after I did, she moved back from Boston to New York, and ended up living very close to where I moved in Brooklyn, just by happenstance. And she was hung up on some other guy, and I had a girlfriend. Yeah. And then some time went by, and I had a dream about her, and I have no, I, I had a dream about her, and 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 I woke up from the dream, and I had her in my mind, and I couldn't get it out of my mind. I was not still in love with her. I didn't think. I figured it was like I just eat, I'd eaten something, a shitty burrito or something. And that it would go away. Were but you it, sure that what you did have was love? In the past? Yeah. I knew that I was drawn to her in a way that I'd never been drawn right. to anyone else. Right. There's something about her has always felt like home. Yeah. That's the only way I could really articulate it. Right. And I, um, I called my friend after a week. I couldn't stop thinking about her. I called my friend Kate and I was like, I don't know what to do. And she's like, you can't fuck with this girl again. You made her life really miserable once. You can't come back into her life now and court her again if you're going to do the same shit. You have to be sure this is real. Um, we went out to talk. Uh, we went out to talk at a bar in New York in Tribeca, and there was a guy there, a writer she knew at the bar, yeah. who had had a similar experience where he had been with this girl, this younger woman, and then he he left. He 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 dropped out of the relationship, and a month later, like woke up and was like, "Fuck, what did I do? I'm in love with that girl." Yeah. And she was with someone else by then. Yeah. And I was like, what'd you do? He's like, I, he's like, I just sat. He's like, what you need to do is dig a trench. He's like, you dig a trench and you stay in that trench for as long as it takes. And you might never get her. And in fact, being in the trench means not expecting to get her, but just being kind, being with her, being a friend to her. And hopefully she'll come around because the other guy's just, he's just a passing fad. And right. you're there, you're rock. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I'm going to dig a trench, right? <laughs> so I dug a trench. It only took like a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Good trench. Yeah, it was an easy trench, man. Yeah. It was the best. It was yeah. the best war experience ever. And she, you know, she said, she's like, how do I know that you're not crazy still? And I was like, well, when we first kissed again, when we, sec- you know, re-first ki- re kissed, yeah. I was like, well, I, I am. But I'd learned to compart- compartmentalize the anxiety. I realized if I felt a stab of anxiety that it it had nothing to do with her. It was not because of the it was not because she was near me. It was not because she was viewing my anxiety. Yeah. And I was able to tell her. Yeah. I, I could be honest about it. Right. She knew. She right. knew what she was getting herself into, man. Right. She had read the contract. She had read the fine print. And I had the comfort of her knowing that I was an anxious dude. 
and and also I knew that I was going to assiduously watch myself so that I wasn't going to let that anxious part infect the part that tr- that wanted to love her. So this was your marriage vows? <laughs> this is, yeah, your red <laughs> vows. I'm not going to let my insanity fuck up our marriage. You can now put the ring on her finger yeah, and kiss very, her. It's very romantic. And uh, I don't know if I've always, I've done it pretty well. I mean, there have been times, it's still hard for her because the anxiety still makes it hard for me to like, uh, I'm a writer, right? Yeah. So I have to self-motivate. Yeah. And if I'm anxious, it can be hard to self-motivate. And she, we have a kid, we have a five-year-old. Yeah. So she could be like, get off your ass. And I was like, oh, I'm anxious. So it's, Shut up. Yeah, shut up and I don't care yeah. if you're anxious. Well, see, it's, be- it's like it's good that you're at that. That's a, a tremendous amount of po- progress for somebody oh, yeah. as self-involved as you were is that when you can actually, you know, listen to a woman yeah. that isn't your mother, yeah. you know, tell you to do something and not snap back like a child and, and, but also just, you know, go like, oh, she's right. Yeah. I, do. I do snap back in my head. Yeah. Oh, but I've learned a little bit, yeah. but, but only during, you know, during the bad times. Right. But I did. I learned. I learned. And and, uh, and there we were. And so you're doing all right? I'm doing okay, man. It's It's been crazy going around. I'm used to being in a room by myself, but I'm... I need to I need to get out of New York, I think. I need to get into a place that's a little less crazy. I need to meditate more. But you can be there for your kid. You find that you're experiencing that's real, the thing that helps real empathy oh, for yeah. both of them and, and that, you know, a little selflessness. Yeah, I'm and doing you, all right. And you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be crisis for you to be out of yourself. No, I'm doing all right. Well, great. I, I think I'm going to be okay. Congratulations. Man, Are yeah. you on medication? Yeah, Lexapro. It works? I don't know if it's doing anything. Okay. I, think, I don't know if it's doing anything, but I'm too afraid to go off it. Thanks, Daniel. <laughs> Thanks, man. That's our show, my friends. Uh, I'm sorry I'm so jacked up, but I've had about three gallons of coffee, justcoffee.coop, available at WTFPod.com. What's also at WTFPod.com is a myriad of things. Is that the right way to use that word? Get on the mailing list. Check the episode guide. Get the app. Get the premium app. Leave some comments. Buy some merch. Kick in a few shekels. Get some justcoffee.coop. Go there and enjoy it. Listen to the podcast right there on WTFPod.com. Do it, you guys. I, you know what? I, I need to be on medicine. Oh, my God. Philadelphia, Helium Comedy Club, December 6th through 8th. I got to get back to set. Did I mention that? Does that... Ugh. All right. Take a breath. Ugh. Daniel Smith was fun, though, wasn't he? That was fun. What else is going on? Did I tell you everything you need to know? Oh, Obama is president still. Boomer lives!